Good morning. This morning's reading is Romans chapter 7, 1 to 11, not 1 to 6. Uh, So, chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious God, give us ears to hear your voice through your word. Help us see that it is true that it is good. We pray that you would help us be changed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to consider the first six verses of chapter seven. I was going to consider a larger section and I've decided to shrink it. Uh, We're going to have question time after the service, after the sermon. Uh, So if you've got questions, you can ask them then. Uh, But first, I want to begin by asking you a question. We need to actually turn to the person next to you and ask them if you like. Uh, do Christians need to keep the Old Testament law? Is it necessary for Christians to obey, for example, the Ten Commandments? Uh, turn to the person next to you and just discuss that for a moment. Uh, it's okay if you don't know. Don't be embarrassed by that. We are all here to learn. So have a turn to the person next to you. Tell them what you think. Ask them what they think. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off. Sorry for being rude. I'm assuming you all just gave a one-word answer and then just started talking about the weather, right? Because it should be, should be an easy question. Should Christians, people who belong to God, do what God says? Of course they should, right? How is this even a question? Uh, it's a question because of how Paul has been talking about the law so far in Romans. Now, if you've been reading through Romans through from the beginning, like we have here in church, uh, here are some of the things that you would have heard Paul, the apostle, the proud Jew, say about the Jewish law. In chapter 3, he says that it is through the law that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God, and that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. 
In the same verse, he says the law exists to make us conscious of sin. In chapter 4, he says that the law brings wrath. And in chapter 5, he argues that the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So if you were to kind of sum up what Paul says about the Old Testament law in Romans, it's that uh, no one will ever make themselves right with God by keeping it. And instead, all the law does is expose you, condemn you, and make everyone see just how deserving of God's wrath you are. Almost everything that Paul says about God's law in Romans is negative. It's not a great sell for the law. And so people in Paul's day, and and still today, uh, would look at Paul's teaching and and call him an antinomian, someone who is against God's law, who rejects the law of God. Someone who says that Christians don't need to obey God's commands, that they can just live however they want. That, that was the kind of accusation that was leveled at Paul, that's still leveled at Paul by many today. And that's what Paul sets out to address here in chapter 7. I mean, in chapter 6, he, he seems to be saying, and he does say quite clearly, that Christians are not under the law, but under grace. And so the question that he sets out to help us see is, is what does it mean that Christians are not under law? And how is it that we can reconcile this idea of being free from the law with Paul's own claim in chapter 3 that faith does not nullify the law, but rather that he upholds the law? How do we reconcile this idea of freedom from the law with Jesus' assertion that he did not come to abolish the law. And does any of this matter for us today? These are the questions we're going to be addressing right now. These are the things we're going to see in these first six verses of Romans chapter 7. And in those verses, Paul helps us to see the place that the Old Testament law has in the life of a Christian. And he begins by using an illustration from marriage. Now, have a look down in your Bibles. He says, do you not know, brothers and sisters, he's used that phrase a few times in the last chapters, do you not know, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Now, Paul's making a very general point here. And it's not even just specifically about God's law. It's kind of about any law. The law only applies to you if you are alive. You can only be expected to keep the law if you are alive. Which is why, you know, we kind of stop paying taxes after you died. If the hearse is caught speeding, we don't find the person in the box. And as Paul shows us, marriage is only till death do you part. Which means that if a woman's husband dies, the woman is free to remarry. 
Her first marriage is ended. She's single and she's free to mingle. Well, in verse 4, Paul applies this analogy. He takes it and he applies it to Christians. And he says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, the analogy gets a little mixed here, doesn't it? Because in marriage, it's when the other person dies that you're free to become or to remarry. Uh, But in verse 4, Paul says that it's because you died that you have become free. And again, Paul is making this connection between Jesus' death and ours. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it last week again. I'm repeating myself, but it's worth repeating. Christians are not just people who like Jesus. Christians are people who are joined to Jesus. They are united with Christ. They are in Christ. Which means Christians are not just people who believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. We do believe that. But Christians are people who died with him. Who died to sin. Who watched on as their old self was crucified. But then who also rise again with Jesus. Who live a new life now and who will one day be resurrected physically to enjoy that new life in its fullest experience in the new creation. Christians are united to Jesus. If that's something that you're still struggling to get your head around, come chat to me afterwards. It's, it's a really, uh, it's a beautiful picture, and it's incredibly good news for us, that we are joined to Jesus. But it means that the moment that you became a Christian, not only did you die to sin, which is what Paul argued for in chapter 6, it also means that you died to the law. Now, it's crucial that we understand what that means, because that's a strange statement to make, that you died to the law. Uh, It doesn't mean that no law applies to you anymore. If a cop pulls you over on your way home this afternoon, you cannot say to him, sorry, officer, I've died to the law, you can't find me. This verse does not validate the, you know, the sovereign citizen movement that kind of pushes people to entirely reject the law of the country. Uh, It doesn't do that. If anything, the Bible pushes us the other way to submit to governing authorities. But uh, we have not died to the law of our nation. The law Paul is talking about is the law of Moses. The commands and regulations handed down to Moses at Sinai. The Old Testament law. Now, in what sense have we died to that? Well, we died to the law in the same way that Jesus died to the law. Because you notice here, he says that we died to the law through the body of Christ. It is because Jesus died that we are considered dead to the law. Jesus died to the law by suffering the penalty that the law demanded. So when he says that we died to the law, he means that we have 
experienced the punishment. We have served the sentence. Uh, We didn't serve it. Jesus served it for us, but we are joined to him. And so we are counted as having served it. The law says that all those who disobey God will die. And in Christ, we died. Which means that we're set free from the law in the same way that a prisoner who has served the sentence is set free from the law. The sentence is done. Now, if I've lost you, come back. (laughs) This is really important. I want to show you what it means for you even today. Before you become a Christian, if you were to read the Ten Commandments, and if you were honest with yourself which very few people are, but if you were honest with yourself, as you read the Ten Commandments, you would see that you are guilty. An honest person will go down that list and say, well, yeah, I have not honoured God above all. I have worshipped other other things. I have not always honoured my parents. I have murdered by thinking hateful thoughts about others. I have committed adultery, either in bed or in my mind. I have stolen, I have lied, I have coveted, I am guilty. An honest person will see that. Most of us, before we came to Christ, were not honest with ourselves and we would have rejected that. But a non-Christian reading the Ten Commandments should see that they are guilty. That they have no hope of measuring up. That they cannot be right in God's eyes. When the Christian reads the Ten Commandments, well, in one sense, it's no different. Even as a Christian, you know that you have not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you have not loved your neighbor as you've loved yourself. You still murder, you still commit adultery, you still steal and lie and covet. But here's the difference. As a Christian, you no longer feel the condemnation that you felt before. Because you can look at the Ten Commandments and say, I'm guilty, but in Christ, I have paid the penalty. The law says I deserve to die, and in Christ, that's exactly what happened. I died to the law. The penalty is paid. I'm free. And that's, that's huge. I hope you can see the implications of that. Because if you're someone who has put your faith in the Lord Jesus, you don't have to worry about God's punishment on sin. Paul wrote earlier in Romans that the wrath of God is being revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of people. And, and you can say, I was godless and I was wicked, but God's wrath is not coming to me. Because I am in Christ. And that's why, uh, as Paul finishes up chapter 7, where he addresses this question of the law, uh, the very next thing he says in chapter 8, if you just flick over in your Bibles, you'll see it there, verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, That's the consequence of this. You died to the law, the penalty has been paid, which means you don't need to fear condemnation. Ever. So friends, stop worrying about that. 
There are some of you here, as there are in every church I've ever been a part of, who, who do worry about that. There are some of you here, and you'll, you'll know if this is you, that you, you look at your lives and you worry about whether you're good enough. There are some of you here who, who, who follow Jesus and then you sin and you despair and you, you wonder oh, whether God might reject me. I want you to see how that's just another manifestation of of righteousness by works, of trying to earn your way to God. And we are all tempted to believe that. Naturally, that is what we think. But friends, the gospel sets us free from that anxiety. You have died to the law. You no longer need to fear its punishment. You're free. Now, that's wonderful news. Uh, The question is, does that mean Christians can just do whatever the heck they like now? We've died to the law, we're forgiven, so we can just carry on living the same way that we always have. No. You see, Paul keeps going in verse 4. And he still has that image of marriage in mind when he writes this. He says, so, my brothers and sisters, just... As a woman whose husband died, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. You died to the law, that marriage has ended, but by being released from belonging to the law, you are free to belong to someone else, to to remarry, as it were. And the one we marry, or the one we are united to, is the one who set us free, the Lord Jesus. So we're no longer bound by the requirements of the law, we're bound to Jesus. We're free to serve and to please our new partner in love. When I was single, I was free to do basically whatever I wanted. If I wanted to go somewhere, I would just go. And if I wanted to do something, I would do it. If I wanted to spend my entire paycheck on some new toy, I I didn't have to ask permission. I, I didn't have to justify it to anyone. I didn't even need to tell anyone. I could just do it. If those of you who are single, you'll you'll know this same kind of freedom. When you get married, you lose that freedom. You actually surrender that freedom. So that if I went out this afternoon and spent my entire paycheck on a new bike without asking Janice or even telling Janice, uh, she would have every right to be quite upset with me because I now belong to her. And when we got married, I surrendered many of my freedoms to her. But I did that gladly, because I love her, and I love pleasing her. And while marrying her did result in me losing some freedoms, I gained so much more in love and in intimacy and in companionship and in joy. Well, friends, it's the same for us as Christians. 
We died to the law so that we might belong to another, that we might, if we use the language of last week's passage, that we might become slaves to another. And the freedom we now enjoy is not a freedom to do whatever we want. We surrendered that freedom when we were united to Christ. The freedom we have now is a freedom to please him, a freedom to serve him. And while, like most married people, there are times when you look back at your previous life and you go, oh, that was good, wasn't it? You might miss that freedom. You wouldn't change it for the world, would you? Friends, there, there might be moments as a Christian where you, you, you mourn the freedom just to do whatever you want. You look at what your non-Christian friends do and you go, oh, that would be nice. But friends, you wouldn't change it for the world. Because what you have sacrificed in freedom to be united to Jesus, well, you have gained so much more, haven't you? You've gained love and intimacy and companionship and comfort and joy and hope and purpose and and all these things by being united to Jesus. Friends, there is nothing better than living to please the Lord. You died to the law so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And then Paul continues, in order in order that we might bear fruit for God. In my garden right now, there are two passion fruit vines, one lemon tree and one lime tree, and none of them have ever produced a single piece of fruit. Now, in my case, that probably says more about me as a gardener than it does about the plants, but let's just ignore that for a little bit. Those plants, I'm going to point the finger at them, those plants are utterly useless, aren't they? They bring me no joy. They serve no purpose. They contribute nothing. All they do is suck nutrients from the soil. They are not doing what they were supposed to do, bear fruit. Well, did you know that you are not like my passion fruit or lemon or lime trees? Because you can produce fruit that is pleasing to God. And I think lots of Christians don't really believe this. So many Christians have a view of God that they believe that God is merciful and forgiving and, and that God will overlook their sin but that God could actually be pleased with us. Oh, for many Christians, that's just too much. They sort of live with a picture of God as, as God is always sort of a bit grumpy with us. But friends, you see, you were set free from the law in order that you might bear fruit for God. That you might live a life that, that flourishes, that blooms, that you might bear the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's about to, in chapter 8, go on and talk about the Spirit in the life of the Christian. Uh, In Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things that grow in us through which we actually can please God. Your God loves seeing your life bear fruit. 
Before you met Jesus, you could not have done that. When you were in the flesh, Paul says in verse 5, when you were not a Christian, the only fruit you could bear was for death, he says. Everything you did only served to demonstrate and to reinforce the fact that you were guilty of sin and deserving of death. But now, verse 6, but now things are different. By dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way, the way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And what Paul is saying here is that the law could never enable you to please God. You working your way through the Ten Commandments, you reading Leviticus, and and none of that would allow you to please God. You could never make yourself right with God. You could never be justified through your works. And the law could never motivate you to live wholeheartedly for God. In fact, all the law ever does is the opposite. It exposes your sin and provokes you to keep sinning. The written code, the letter, the old covenant could never justify you. What you needed was the spirit, God's spirit, God himself dwelling in us, releasing us from the law, enabling us to serve our new partner. Now, what is this new way in which we serve? Well, it means we obey God, not as a means of proving our righteousness. It's not that you're counted right with God and so now you need to make sure everyone sees how good you are, no. It's not as a means of earning salvation. It's not a means of of paying God back. Some people kind of have the attitude, well, God forgave me and so now I need to pay him back by being good. No, not that. It's not making up for your sin. No, we obey God because we delight in pleasing him. And we do that in the power that only he can provide by his spirit, which we'll look at in chapter 8. But friends, do you, do you see how, how the, the analogy of marriage sort of carries forward? What is it that motivates you to do things for your husband or your wife? Well, it's your love for them. You, you love putting a smile on their face. Well, friends, it's the same for us. We don't obey God out of fear of what he's going to do to us if we disobey him. We don't obey God for what we might get out of it. We obey God... Because we delight in pleasing him. Now, bringing this all together, uh, to answer our question from the beginning, should Christians keep the Old Testament law? Uh, Do you see the answer is sort of, it's yes and no, which is the most unhelpful of answers. But let me explain. Uh, You are no longer bound to the law. You are no longer required to keep the law. You cannot become righteous through the law. Which means the Ten Commandments are not a checklist to be right with God. You are not bound by the law. Having died with Jesus, you have paid the penalty 
for sin. You no longer need to live under the condemnation that the law brings upon sinners. So in one one sense, you are not at all bound by the law. Does that mean that we just kind of rip that, you know, section out of our Bible? We just ignore it, it's irrelevant to us? No, because you're not free to sin. And the freedom we have is the freedom to serve Jesus, to please him. We're released from the law to belong to him, to bear fruit for him, and so we delight in pleasing him. We delight in obeying him, and we delight in doing the things that he says are good. And so in the Old Testament law, we have God's description of what is good, and so we delight in it. We long to please God. We do not obey because it leads to salvation. We have salvation. And so we joyfully obey. That's going to raise some questions. So have it, I pray, and then we'll, we'll take some time for questions. Lord God, we thank you that we are united to the Lord Jesus. That if we are those who put our faith in him, we are joined to him forever. That we died to sin, that we have risen again to new life. And that we no longer need to fear the condemnation that the law pronounces on the sinner because we have died, we have served the sentence in Christ. And so Lord, we pray that you might help us live out of love for you. Help us rejoice at this freedom that we have, that we are set free from the law and its condemnation so that we can belong to you and to bear fruit for you. And it's our desire that we could do that. Please give us the strength, the determination, the motivation to do what is pleasing to you. Keep us from that that worry that we could be... uh, cut off from you by our our sin. Lord, we know that in Jesus we are fully forgiven, that we are safe in your hands. And it's in this freedom that we ask that you help us to serve. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.